Ellis, here's what uh, here, uh, Gene had even kind of mentioned a little bit of the format here. And, and most of you know who I am. I'm Bill Search. I'm one of the executive pastors here at Crossings and I've uh, been serving here a little over two years now. And so uh, it feels to me like I've been here 10 years because I know a lot of you guys. I know a lot of your stories, care a great deal for you. Uh, but if you, for the first time or two in or you haven't seen my before, I'm Bill Search. I'm one of the pastors here. So it's good to be with you. I'll be with you for the next few weeks. But, uh, uh, Blake gets a little reprieve from uh, the, the weekly uh, teaching. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kick off kind of a topic and do some biblical teaching. And then I've invited in a couple of my buddies who work with me at a thing we do on Thursdays called Man Challenge. I've, I've brought in Michael Foster, who is our online campus pastor. Michael, go ahead and say hi. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having us. Um, my name is Michael Foster. I'm an online campus pastor, and I have um, been around Crossings. My wife and I have attended Crossings since 2004, and then um, I joined the staff in 2006 as the Director of Information Technology. So I've been around Crossings for, for a little while on staff, um, but in the last couple of years, I've moved into a ministry role. Um, and the Lord had amazing things, um, foresight to, to move in our leadership, to put uh, a pastor over our online community. And uh, that was this last September. So I transitioned into that role this last September. And it's been a, a phenomenal um, education that we've received in the last several months, uh, this last month, to be able to um, facilitate church almost solely online, um, build groups like this. And so I'm just thankful for you guys attending this uh, so faithfully. And I don't know about you guys, but it's so nice to see the faces of other people. I love the people in my house, but um, sometimes it's, it's just nice to, to get a, a good perspective of somebody else. So it's, it's good to be with you guys. Amen. And then uh, also I want to introduce Brett Williams. And Brett Williams is on uh, staff at Crossings and uh, one of my co co-compatriots at Man Challenge on Thursday mornings. And uh, Brett, go ahead and say hi. And, and uh, Brett's the director of IT. You can say more than that, Brett, if you like. Sure. No, absolutely. So uh, I came on staff um, to take Michael's role as he was moving to a new role. So I've spent 20 plus years in IT and uh, God opened up the door here to, uh, at Crossings for me to join the staff as director of IT. So I've been super thankful uh, we've only been attending crossings for a couple of years, a uh, couple of years now. My kids have done all the uh, sporting uh, events and things like that, that crossings offer. So I've been around the church, but I uh, haven't called crossings my home until a couple of years ago. So I'm really thankful to be here. And I can't say enough good things about Michael and Brett and their families. Uh, when Karen and I started a home small group a couple of years ago, well, I guess it was, yeah, almost almost two years ago this fall, two years ago this fall, uh, it was within like the maybe six months or a year later, we invited in the Williams, Brett and his family and the Fosters, uh, Michael and his family. And so I've gotten to know these guys really well and enjoy doing ministry with them. I consider them brothers in Christ. And so what we're going to do here, this is a little different. And I find that especially doing stuff electronically, I'm, I'm, I'm learning and doing different things than I normally would if I was in the room with you all, because uh, there's a little more fatigue of just listening. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kick off a topic, do some biblical teaching. Then I'm going to turn to Michael and to Brett and ask them to sort of contribute. And then after they've done some con contribution, 
then uh, we'll, we'll kind of open it up a little more if there's other thoughts or questions or, or uh, other, other of us uh, in this large group want to share something. And then I'll move us on from there. Once I kind of feel like we've, we've uh, camped out enough in that point, then I'll move us on. And if we time this right, you know, we have about, now we have 40 more minutes. If we time this right, we're going to get through three of these rotations of me talking, then Brett and Michael, then you, and then back to me again. So hopefully, hopefully we'll manage our time. And, you know, here's the good news. If we don't, uh, we'll just kick it to next week. So that's good. All right. So let's get kick, uh, kick off. We're going to be in James 1. So if you have the Bible with you, go ahead and just open it up to the first chapter of James. And over the next three weeks, we're only going to look at James 1. And what's funny is uh, I talked to, about this with Blake and Blake goes, man, we just finished up first Peter and about like the grind of going through challenges and difficulties. I'm not sure, you know, and I think that James takes a different beat on this a little bit so that even though the topics might overlap a little bit, I think what we always find is when we're studying the New Testament letters in particular, they all kind of merge into each other. Uh, there's, there's uh, as Homer Simpson once said in the Simpsons, he, he picked up a Bible, actually he had a book in his hand and he goes, I don't know what's so great about this. Everybody in it's messed up, but the one guy, and, and then you see the binding and it's the Holy Bible. And normally I wouldn't quote the Simpsons or particularly Homer Simpson, <laughs> not a great spiritual wit, but I think that uh, what he's getting at is true is that the great part of the scriptures is Jesus Christ and our reflections upon him. And that's what Paul and Peter and James do. So all that being said, the first topic that we're going to kick off with is, you know, sometimes, sometimes bad stuff happens. Sometimes relationships melt down. We just had a whole bunch of prayer requests about health crises that kick up. And, uh, you know, when we were all kids, like in our teens and twenties and someone, and if, if someone like we knew older got sick, what do we do? We shrugged our shoulder and go, well, they're old. So of course they got sick, you know, and as we've gotten older, I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, I'm one year away from being 50. And, uh, and uh, health, I, 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 you know, I was just talking to my dad about this. He's 83 and he's like, you know, 95 seems old to me now. 83 used to seem old, but now 95 seems old, you know? So it is, you know, relationship struggles happen, health crises happen, even if they happen because we've just gotten a little bit older and our knees have gotten tired. Economic downturns happen. Some of you remember the economic collapse of 1987. Some of you remember the oil uh, crises of the late 70s. Some of you remember the, the Great Recession that we seemingly just slid out of just to slide into one, a new one maybe, who knows. But the question when, when this happens is there's always this like, well, what did we do wrong? That's oftentimes what happens. When something happens that isn't quite good as we would define good, when there's some economic downturn, a health crisis, a, 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 a pandemic, the first thing that we, we do, especially people of faith, is we sometimes start looking for places to point the finger and go, that's the reason that this is happening. And it doesn't help that it, even now, I wish these guys, I won't name them, but some of these Christian celebrity type guys get on Fox News or some other news source and they go, the reason for the pandemic is God's judging us because we walked away from this or took prayer out of school or some other thing. And they, that doesn't help. I cringe when that happens because what those guys are doing when they do that or when we believe it is that we get this false assumption that when things go bad, that must be a sign of God's judgment 
but when things are good, that must be a sign of God's blessing. And the reason I say that these guys are wrong to assert this is that in the New Testament, Jesus and his followers never do say, if you follow me, the world will be awesome. Your lives will be easy. You'll be healthy. You'll be wealthy. You'll be wise. Jesus never says that. And none of his teachings in the gospel does he say, and check me on it. I mean, if you can find it, I'm, I'm, I'd like to be, I'm willing to be proven incorrect. But when Jesus says, hey, um, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. If you follow me, <laughs> you're going to be out on the open. Uh, he, he doesn't promise it's going to be an easy cakewalk for Christians. He never says that. 100% clear in this world, there's corruption. And so, and if you just look around the world, even when things were awesome, just back it up let's say four months ago, just before Christmas, best economy we've had in 60 years or something like that. Everybody was just, it was good, right? It was real good. Yeah, even during that time, there were Christians living in the developing world, facing scarcity, poverty, hunger, violence. It just wasn't in Oklahoma, but it was in Nigeria. Or there were cycles of war and economic struggle. And this is not God's judgment on those places nearly as much as it's just sinful people living on the planet Earth doing sinful, selfish stuff. So the question isn't, why do bad things happen? The real question is, what do we do about it? How do we live our lives in the face of all this? And this is what James writes in his first opening salvo, shot across the bow in his first opening lines of James 1. This is from a guy who literally grew up with Jesus. So he, he probably arguably knew Jesus, humanly speaking, better than anybody else in uh, New Testament times, besides maybe Jesus' mother, Mary. So here's James 1, verses 2 to 4. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And when I read this, I'm struck with two words. And if you look at your, just look down at verses, verse uh, two and, and, uh, and three, if you look down there, you'll see it. You can underline it if you want. Consider it pure joy. If you want to underline it, underline joy. And it's connected with when you face trials, go ahead and underline trials. And the Bible, you know, this is what's funny to me is the Bible's full of stuff like this. And the longer you're in church, you're like, mm, that's a very astute observation, James. Thank you very much. And if you've been lulled into church complacency, you're like, I'm used to hearing things like that. But if you just are honest for a minute, hit pause, doesn't a part of you want to go, this kind of thing drives me crazy. I don't know how joy and trials can go together. And yet, and yet, what... James is saying is that joy and trials are interconnected. So I'm going to turn it over to Brett. Uh, I don't know, Brett or Mike, I don't care which one of you guys wants to go first here, but I want to turn it over to you. And here's the question. How do we keep joy-filled attitudes in the middle of difficulties? Because that's really the question. How can we keep joy-filled attitudes in the middle of difficulties? So Brett, Michael, you can arm wrestle who goes first. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, you know, it, it, it's a mindset. So for, you know, when, when we're sitting there and we're, you know, I, I can go negative really quick whenever I am 
um, being faced with a trial. Uh, it's almost like the enemy senses it, gets a foothold in, and just starts jumping on top of me. And I can go down this rabbit hole for as long as, you know, as long as he wants to go that way. Um, but I have, to, I have to change my mindset on that and, and realize that, you know, uh, that God is in control of that, uh, of that situation. And I've got to realize uh, to control what I, what I can, but also allow God to control the majority of what I'm going through or all of what I'm going through and just listen to what he's telling me to do. Attitude. That's what it is. Attitude. Michael, what do you think? What would you add to that? Well, I think attitude, um, it definitely plays a really big key role in this. And the the other part to it and, and where James kind of brings this out a little bit is there's purpose um, or there's an, a good outcome that can kind of come from that. And so if you, um, if you're doing something um, for no really good reason uh, and it gets really hard, a lot of the time you just stop doing it. Um, I think about like we went to a camp, we went on a camping trip and storms were coming in around us and it literally the winds were so strong it flattened our tent. And in my infinite wisdom, I said, don't worry, you know, this is just a storm front. It'll, it'll blow over. We're not going to get any rain. 20 minutes later, our tent's still flat and we're still inside of it. And there was really no purpose for us to do there. Um, and so we, we bolted, we threw everything in the car. Our fire had literally blown away out of the, the fire ring that we had, like it was so windy. Um, so it, it wasn't worth it for us to stay there because there was really no major purpose. We were planning on just waking up and, and going home in the morning. And so um, same thing, camping in the backyard. There's really not a really big, big payout. Um, if you're camping very far, far away from your home, if you're going to visit someplace, now you're talking about there's, there's a really good purpose into what you're doing. And James is bringing a good purpose into this is that um, great, you're going through these trials. It's not the reason why you're going through these trials, but there's a purpose in there. And so you can actually keep your head down and, and move through to, to receive some of that, um, that additional uh, benefit that you're, you're getting from the trials. The benefit is that um, you're stronger, you're wiser, you're faster, you're better, you're the million dollar man. Um, but it, it's, it's that thing too, is we confuse joy and happiness a lot. And it can be very easy to confuse the two because you can have joy and still be grieving or doing different things. And, and the difference between happiness and joy is happiness is really dependent on your circumstances. If things are going well, the economy is going great, your fridge is full, it's great. Um, you got toilet paper, things are going great. But whenever you're, um, you're starting to run out of those things and things become hard, your happiness, it lowers. It's based off of your circumstances where joy, the only place that joy comes from is from, from, from God. And so when we're receiving joy from God, that's when we can have all these bad things around us go not the way we want and still have joy because it's, it's placed in the Lord only. You know, if I, if I pull what you, you guys just kind of highlighted, joys and attitude, which can be, you know, we, we make that choice of what our attitude is going to be. There's the big picture. Where are the trials leading to? If they're leading to no place, then it feels pointless. But if there's a good outcome on the other side, that can deeply positively impact. Uh, impact. And there's a very big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is like, oh, fresh chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream. Happiness. But joy is something entirely different. It's being with maybe great friends, but still being hungry. 
you know, cake alone, great friends, no cake. I'll choose my great friends. It's perfect world if you get them both. That's heaven. <laughs> all right, um, let me let me broaden it out. Open it up to the rest of the guys here. And uh, all you have to do, I think, you have to hit your space bar to unmute yourself. Is there any other um, observations you guys have on this first kind of point, or or uh, questions you have, or thoughts you'd like to contribute? All right. Uh, so, a couple thoughts and good uh, good ideas. You know, when when we talk about good attitude, I used to always think. Attitude was everything and it's important, but man, there are times I just don't feel because the circumstances are so tough. I don't feel like I can keep that good attitude. I can act like it. I can put a facade up, but boy, I sure don't feel like it inside. So I think the attitude side is more to the outside. I try to show other people so I don't pull them down, but inside I'm dying. And what I find that I have to do is simply go back to scripture and see what the promises are because uh, I can intellectually determine where I should be and change that from uh, my feelings to my thinking. And so, I, I, you know, when, when you discuss James here, I think of two things. One is I, go, I always go back to Romans 8, 28 and 29, because we talk about all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. But the, the second verse of the 29, the four verse tells us why all things work together for good, because God has uh, uh, predestined me to be like Christ. And so the toughness I'm going through is going to make me more like Christ. I can intellectually think about that. And then I think about James 1.12 in that first verse that says we need to persevere. And that perseverance, I, I love the Greek word in that. Somebody shared that with me one time. It's hupomone, uh, which means to stay under. I'm not supposed to try to get out. I'm just supposed to sit under it and let it work its good work in me, even though I don't feel good about it. So just some thoughts there. I love it. Thanks, Terry. Anybody else? Bill, Bill just a kind of, uh, kind of ducktail on what Terry said. I heard a illustration, an older guy who had been really through some rough life. People knew he'd been through just about anything you had. He had it, but he was always happy. And he was a Christian guy. And he says, well, how come? You guys, you always seem to be, man, there's been a lot of things happen to you. He says, well, he says, you know what? I go to the scriptures. Well, that, that's, that's good, just like Terry said. This is, what's your favorite verse? He says, my favorite verse, it came to pass. <laughs> I like it. it. Came to pass. Came to pass. It doesn't last. There's a limit. Anybody else? Bill, this is yep. Lynn Coffey. Uh, Job 42.5 comes to my mind mm. when Job said, Lord, I thought I understood all about you, but now I see. Yeah. And so that's the same thing that James, I think, is saying here is that uh, this is things to grow us or to correct us or uh, in our faith. And uh, it's really helpful to go back and, and read that book and know that it's not things that we've done that causes a lot of these hardships. It's just, uh, there's just things out there beyond our knowledge. That's good. That's real good. And you know, you know, something that Terry said, I think is worth uh, remembering, which is sometimes internally, we're not feeling it. You know, I, I think uh, most of us probably on this, uh, on this uh, zoom meeting here, if, if not, uh, vast majority of us uh, are parents, our fathers. 
And, uh, it, you know, what, what good would a dad be if when the kids were little, everything that bugged him, he wore on his face? If every pressure or stress he felt, you go back to the early days of raising little kids, odds are, like me at that time, money was probably a little more scarce because, you know, God blesses you with kids at the time when you're the poorest and you're in your, uh, income range typically, right? You know, your 20s or somewhere in there, you start having kids and you barely have enough money for rent and kids come along and everything's tight. And you feel that pressure and you you feel that stress. But if, if every time you had, a, you know, sort of like a concern, you wore concern on your face, your kids wouldn't feel very safe. The kids have to have this feeling like everything's going to be fine. I grew up in a factory worker's home. My dad worked for General Motors and the United Auto Workers went on strike from time to time. In fact, it's a, it's a strike my dad was on that procured me. <laughs> he, in 1970, he was on strike and uh, just found this out. I thought, I thought it was a, a layoff. It wasn't a layoff. They were on strike and uh, it was a long strike. And so he and my mom didn't have a whole lot to do. And nine months later, I came along. So anyhow, all this to say, that's more information than you wanted, but all this to say is that I grew up in an environment that was regularly worried about layoffs, factory closures, loss of income. And my dad was one of those unskilled labor guys that got a lot of money for, for showing up to work and working hard. But I knew that he wouldn't be able to replicate that income. But whenever I asked my dad, my dad would always say, oh, it's fine. No, nah, it's fine. No, nah, no, nah, we're not going anywhere. We're making plenty of cars, blah, blah, blah. And even in seasons when he was nervous, he didn't let on with that. He didn't share that because he was very clear to kind of be the buffer. And so, Terry, that's something I appreciate that. You know, sometimes our face has to wear a different, we have to put something else outside that we're not feeling inside. And the difference between us and the Greco-Romans, the Greco-Romans did that too. They called it stoicism, to be a stoic. And uh, Marcus Aurelius was the kind of the champion emperor, spiritual leader of stoicism. We're not called to be Stoics. We are called to turn our concerns over to Christ. So Paul even says that, you know what? Hey, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling worried, if you're feeling overwhelmed, present your request to God and let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, uh, you know, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Beautiful passage of Paul. Well, let's move on in James here because um, I don't want to miss something. I don't want to camp out on a joy amidst trials because we are already hinting at it. In fact, uh, Terry started to move us on to it, which is really interesting is, you know, in verse three says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And uh, that word perseverance, or some of your translations will read endurance. Um, you know, this is being written by a guy, James, who, if we understand who James is, and we have a pretty good understanding that this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who grew up in the small town of Nazareth in Galilee alongside his half-brother. Uh, Jesus very likely is the son, presumably, of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. Jesus, as we know, was born of the Virgin Mary, but presumably after the birth of Christ at some point, Joseph and Mary uh, had natural marriage relationships with each other and produce children from that. And presumably James came from that, which if you, if you're fascinated with church history, which I am, 
it was about 200, 250 years later that this doctrine emerged called the perpetual virginity of Mary, which taught that Mary never had any intimate relations with her husband ever. That's not in the Bible. It's not a problem if that were true. And I, I respect my Catholic brothers and sisters, and I don't poke them or punch them on the nose over that one. That was the view that held sway from about 250 AD until Martin Luther, when Martin Luther, a man of the Bible, said, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no expectation that she would be a virgin after Jesus was born. The whole point is Jesus is not the byproduct of a biological coupling of a man and a woman, but through the Holy Spirit. I don't mean to get a sidetracked on that, but this is, G this is James. This is who James is. He grew up in a family in a small town in Galilee, and his family were very, very faithful people. Just think about the fact that Mary was either his mom or his stepmom, and she is considered the high point of femininity and womanhood. She was chosen to bear Christ. So James grew up in a home of a lady who was a really remarkable lady. Protestants, sometimes we don't really acknowledge the greatness of Mary. Like I said, if you're Catholic or from a Catholic background, you're like, well, that's kind of what we grew up with. But anyhow, James grew up in this incredible family, and he was a skeptic of his own brother for much of his life until Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected state. And then James was like, oh, oh, this is for real. And when James converted, James converts. He ends up the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He ends up the leader of the whole uh, Judean Christian movement. Okay, so I don't mean to get a side tact on that, but I think context really helps us here. So uh, when James uses the term testing, that a testing of our faith produces endurance, this is, the, this is a, a technical term that people who are um, examining coins would do to make sure that the coin is the proper weight, that it's the true value of a coin. In other words, if you're buying, if you're paying for something or you're selling something, you want to make sure the coinage that you're using reflects accurately its value. And so what word James uses, a very technical word, is that the testing of your faith is like how coinage is tested to make sure that it's, that it's the real deal. And so on this point, he says that the testing of your faith, it produces, it proves that, that endurance. And so that endurance could mean steadfastness, fortitude. Uh, I like how one translator put it, militant patience. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a good word for it. I use that one, militant patience. And so um, I want to turn it back over to Brett and Michael and then open it up to the group. Here's the question. How have difficulties helped you grow? Because that's it really at the under, this is the under, this is the point I think James is trying to make, that the testing of our faith, it's really an opportunity to prove our faith or another way of looking at it is a great opportunity to mature, to help us grow up in our faith, to be stronger in our faith. So uh, I'll shut up here and I'll turn it over. Brett, Michael, what do you guys think? So kind of my de facto mode of, of operanda is to go and get enough information that I can um, carry out those orders. And um, in, in an easy period, I can find myself to where I'm not really leaning on God, I'm leaning on myself. Um, and so whenever you run into really, really rocky times, when I go into rocky times, it's, it's a daily basis. I remember when I first um, 
uh, have changed roles in various times where, man, it's been a daily thing where I'm just praying, God, get me through this one. Give me wisdom in this. Give me this. Give me that. Um, to where I get enough information where I'm like, I, I can do this. I got this myself. And so there's really th those, those struggles, those trials when you're like, man, I really don't, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not, there's no, nothing I can offer to, to be in this. Um, that's where it really gets you in, tuned into God. And so you're really starting to lean in on God. And unfortunately, um, and, and I try to try to combat that with, um, with, with the daily reading, daily prayer, those kinds of things. Um, but in a trial, man, it's minute by minute for me. And so that's where I really start to see some of those, those things that where I grow the most in those difficult times. And you even look back, I, I like the church. Um, you, you see that, that some of the times where the church was persecuted the most is when they grew the fastest. And you, you even kind of see that right now. Like I see the, the, the church not being persecuted as much, but going through a little bit of struggle, um, trying to, to meet and collect. But there's a lot of people that are turning their hearts and minds toward Jesus. There's a lot of people caring for one another um, in the way that the Bible would direct us to as a congregation. And so you start to see that that in the midst of these trials, that God is drawing us close. Um, it, he brings our attention um, to him a much, much more than what we really do. And so there is that opportunity for us to, to get that, that strength, that wisdom, that dependence of what we should be doing all the time in those times of trouble. Love it. Brett? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I look at this and I'm thinking about just the different difficulties and trials God's put my family through or put me through, or we've gone through. I don't want to say he put us through these, but these trials that we have gone through. And I know each, each man on here has, you know, uh, difficulties in their lives and trials that they've gone through uh, and, and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how, how did you get through it? And I know that you can look back now just like I can um, and say, and see how God brought me through those trials. But at the time when I was going through these and, you know, I wanted the easy button. I wanted to be able to just say, Hey, hit the easy button, get me through this so we can start having the, the good life again. But by going through those trials, it grew my faith and it also grew my expectations of not to put God in a box and say, this is how I want you to answer this prayer or bring me through these trials. I want you, you know, I, I want you tell me how I, how I'm supposed to grow. And so each trial that I've gone through, it's just, it's, it's allowed me to uh, not set those expectations and be open because, you know, there's been times that God has answered prayers or brought me through situations. That I really didn't care for that way because it seemed like I was in that season for a really long time, but I gained wisdom. And so then when I see a fellow brother in Christ going through a similar situation, right, I have now gained wisdom of how God brought me through it. And I can offer hope to other people and other Christians that, Hey, I've, my, my story is not the same as your story, but it might be similar. And this is what God did in my life. Yeah, so how your story helps you connect with other guys and help other men kind of deal with the challenges they encounter. Let me just broaden it out here. I've got a time for a couple comments or questions or smart remarks. We'll open it up to the gallery here and 
see what you all think of that. How have, how have either difficulties helped you grow or maybe just observations that, from what we've just been talking about here? Thoughts? Hey, Bill. Terry Chapman here. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I was just going to share Terry Chapman here uh, with the, as you age, you know, you begin to realize that your life is defined by mountaintops and valleys. And I sure like the mountaintops, but I have come to recognize it's only in the valleys that I grow. I get very lazy when I get on a mountaintop. I want to be like Elijah and lay down and just say, let me enjoy this for a while. But uh, what that's caused me to do is have a different perspective on trials, especially in people that I care about, like my children and grandchildren, to begin to pray, Lord, allow them to fail because it's only in their failures that they're really going to grow. I recognize that that's a hard prayer to do. Now, obviously, you don't want the failure to be so life-changing, but really, it's in toughness that we're going to grow. And I need to remember that when I'm working with those around me that I love and not try to protect them from it, but help them to go through it. Isn't that funny? All the great movies are great stories, are stories of failure and then overcoming. You wouldn't watch really a movie or pay attention to a story where the superhero never has somebody that they have to really work hard at overcoming, right? I mean, think about Rocky. Rocky's only good because he loses part of the time, and then he has to really go back to the basics so he can win again. <laughs> you think about it, that's a, every great story, and that's our story too. Story of uh, challenges and facing them, obstacles, and growing through it and maturing. Got time. One more comment. Gene. Oh, no, I, I will do more. I, I, you, you tried, you tried one, one other times. Go ahead. I was just going to add that uh, through this time, God keeps reminding us that he's the good shepherd and that he doesn't change. His sovereignty never will change. And that gives me hope because I'm going to change. The circumstances are going to change, but he never changes. And yeah. he doesn't have change in his DNA. Yeah. And I can rely on that. So I keep running to that. Um, and even, even if I'm on the shepherd's shoulders, mm. things are still good. He may have had to break my leg, but I'm still on his shoulders. Yeah. And that has meant so much. Isaiah 45, uh, I'm sorry, 49, 15, and 16 promises me that I'm on the palms of his hands and my walls are ever before him. And that has brought such peace. And I've been in a lot of the valley of, of late. So I just keep getting pulled up. And even in this meeting today, it pulls me up because I know that there are others out there sharing. Just Thank that you. reminder of God's presence in your life, that God will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus says that Isaiah the prophet has such good words of the presence of God. And uh, this is in his nature to be near. And it's a good sure. reminder. We can remind each other of that. Thank mm -hmm. you. Gene Duck, you had your hand up there. I saw it. Yes. <clears throat> I wanted to say that, you know, as as we're running this race of life, you know, God is behind us, but you know, the, the next word in this verse is perseverance. 
Yeah. We'll hit these handicaps and barricades that Terry was talking about. And that's where you gain strength is mm -hmm. that you fall down in the race, but you get up and you finish the race, whether you beat anybody yeah. else or not. But the fact is that you ran the race and completed it. Yeah. You know, sometimes you see those people wearing those medals that are just completer medals. You know, when somebody, someone puts a, a bumper sticker on the back of their car, 26.2 or whatever, I think is what it is. That's a marathon, which by the way, marathon is named after somebody who died running it. So I don't know why we have that as competition. It seems crazy. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, when I see that bumper sticker, I'm like, that's for real. You know, that's a hardcore person right there. They're crazy, but hey, they did it. I've never done a marathon. I have I have driven a marathon more than once, but never run one. So well, let me move us along. Yeah, let me move us along here. You know, James wraps up this particular thought with this brilliant picture. He says, let it work so that you may be mature and complete or perfect and complete. Your translation might read not lacking anything. And so here's what's interesting is that the language that James is using would have painted two different pictures depending on who was reading this or what you were familiar with. But since James is writing to primarily a Jewish Christian audience, it's a language that wouldn't have been lost on them. When he says that you'd be perfect and complete or mature and complete, this would have immediately painted a picture of the temple for that original audience of people. If you grew up Jewish, you would have known that an expectation of a faithful Jewish person would be to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And the language that would be used of a sacrifice, whether you were, if you were poor, it was a bird. If you had a little bit more money, it might have been a little lamb. If you had a lot more money, it might be an ox. If you were a wicked sinner, it might be a team of oxen. Some of us guys would have to bring a whole cattle car, right? <laughs> but, but, uh, but, the, but it wouldn't be enough just to bring a sheep. The sheep that you brought would have to be perfect and complete. In other words, you can't bring the lamb that was like born with like three legs. You, you, you could only bring a whole perfect sacrifice you can't bring the discount rack animal to god for sacrifice not acceptable so right up front when god was instituting that sacrificial system as a way of learning to trust in him and understand that sin had a penalty the shedding of blood you would have brought an animal and so when james says that they the that these this this trial in your life will produce perseverance and that perseverance when it has its perfect result you'll be mature and complete you'll be like that sacrificial animal you will be you will be alongside that now so what so what james is not so subtly saying now it's kind of lost on us because we're not part of that community anymore but what was what that original community would have heard is they would have heard you know you you don't need to offer an animal sacrifice anymore because you are the sacrifice you don't need to go find a perfect and whole, perfect and complete lamb. You are the perfect and complete. Now, Jesus is the perfect and complete lamb who took the penalty for our sins. So don't not hear me here. I'm not saying we pay for ourselves. What I'm saying is, is what James is getting at is that the trials will prove who you think and say you are. 
So if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, counter a difficulty, how you respond to the difficulty. In other words, if you tear your hair out, you cry and wail and moan. You know, it's interesting. There's a, a document in the first century. It's called the Didache or Didache. And it was a, it was a early uh, church fathers debated whether or not it should be part of the Bible because it was written about the same time as much of the Bible. But they decided, no, it's good, but it's not the Bible. But one of the things that Didache said is, uh, beware of grumbling because grumbling will lead to blasphemy. Now that's pretty hardcore because <laughs> I do a little grumbling myself and hopefully it doesn't lead to blasphemy. But what that was saying, this is written in about 50, 60 AD. So this is written before some of the New Testament was written, but it was written as sort of a teaching guide, the first Bible study, if you will, for early Christians. In other words, what James is saying is, is rather than complain and whine when you encounter trials, have a good attitude about it because you know that on the other side of this, there could be a incredible fruit in your life. And it's also, by the way, proof of the work of Christ in you. So, I mean, this is what's interesting is that the trial and the difficulty, what James is saying, and I kind of wish he hadn't said it, but he did say it. Trials and difficulties, they're the proving ground of our faith. They show the genuineness of our faith. They allow, our, they allow others to see our faith, and they allow us to self-reflect and know we are for real. And so I'm going uh, to turn this just over to Michael and Brett here uh, for a minute, and then I'm going to pull it back rather than because of our time. I want to just watch our time. So I just want to turn it over to Michael and Brett and respond to this question. Is uh, Guys, how have trials and difficulties make you, made you better men? Uh, it's made me a better father and a husband um, and, and a friend. Uh, whenever, you know, they, they see that we're going through a difficult season or different difficult trials, um, my first response uh, typically is not freak out mode like it used to be or why is this happening to us? And, you know, start pointing fingers uh, at other people. Uh, you know, the first thing they see is that, you know, uh, I try to pray about it real fast or pray about it for a long time. I try to seek wisdom and, and counsel from other people who maybe, um, like I alluded to earlier, uh, that have gone through a similar situation, right? Uh, maybe they can can shed some light or give us, you know, some, some thoughts. So, um, you know, and, and they see me doing that and that helps them grow in their faith and how they handle difficult seasons. Made you better friend, better father, better husband. Okay. I think for Michael. me, uh, it really keeps me humble and, um, you know, you get to go on so long and, you know, you, you start to make all the right decisions and you do all the right things and you start to think, or at least I did, uh, I started to think a lot more highly of myself than, than I truly was. And I forgot potentially where some of those giftings and skill sets came from and they're really blessings from the Lord. And I just remember there, there was a, a point in time in which I was um, just becoming very arrogant about myself. And I was doing such a good job with those around me that maybe I needed to go and do that with, with some other people. And um, when I fixed them, I was going to actually move on to more people. And it, it, I crashed and burned. And in that trial and difficulty, it was really, really hard 
um, in a professional sense to, to, to get back up from that. Um, and I think that that was a piece that really, really kept me humble it, um, and it needed to happen. Um, and so I think that it, that it can put us back in our place and our places in uh, submission to Christ. And that, that's the thing is we are to be submissive to the Lord and what his will is. And when we start to get too um, high on ourselves, then we've put our place in, in traded out, making ourselves God and in charge instead of who the Lord is. And so I think that those trials are very, very good at keeping us um, in, in the place that we are um, in the place that we should be, which is submission. I think the, both, both of you have offered really practical insights here that it makes you, it can make you a better man, husband, father, friend. It can character wise lead to additional humility or a growing humility when you realize all that you aren't are and how much you depend upon God. I think it's a great reminder when I think of, um, when I, I, I'm reading uh, City of God by St. Augustine, and he wrote this in the 400s AD. And uh, one of the things he talks about, and he's talking about Christians dealing with the um, sack of Rome. So Rome, you know, they it fell to the Vandals or the the Visigoths or one of those barbarian groups. And, uh, and so he was giving advice to Christians who are having to deal with, with uh, that. And he says, you know, when that sort of thing happens, as terrible as it is, it's a great opportunity to grow in our dependence upon God and in our humility. And I, I read that and I thought, how would I feel if America was invaded and we were subjugated to some foreign power? I wouldn't like it very much. What would a Christian leader say to Christians in such a situation? I think he would say, I think you would say, grow in your humility, grow in your submission to Christ. Anyhow, I don't want to get us sidetracked on that because some of you guys, had, just as soon as I said America invaded, some of you guys started looking for your firearms. So I don't want to get us, I don't want to get us distracted. And you know who you are, Gene Duck. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Well, let me conclude with this bit. Um, and, uh, and it comes with a movie recommendation along with it. Uh, some of you have seen this movie, but the, this, the language that James used, I said that, you know, he talks in be, to be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. And, and there were really probably two audiences when they read this that saw or imagined two different things. One I've already mentioned, which is the temple and the sacrificial system, those who grew up in that. But certainly there were people who didn't grow up around that. And so when they thought of perfect and complete, not lacking anything, they would have probably pictured a Roman soldier. They would have probably seen a, a well-equipped Roman soldier. That would be the same language that you would use. You would say that soul, that group of soldiers mar- marching down the, the, the thoroughfare of the, of the city, they are perfect and complete. They don't lack anything. They have sword, they have armor, they have shield, they have helmet, they have boots or their version of boots. They have a dagger, they have a javelin or two. They are perfect and complete. Don't mess with them. They aren't lacking anything. No matter what you got, you don't got nothing compared to them. And it, and it reminds me, and some of you guys have seen the, sold, uh, the movie We Were Soldiers, and uh, it's, a, it's a somewhat true. You can read the book and you can watch the movie, and the movie does a Hollywood version of the first battle in the Vietnam conflict of the Vietnam or, but the guy that in particular I find fascinating is played by Sam Elliott, and uh, he plays Sergeant Major uh, Basil or Basil Plumley. 
And Basil Plumley had started his military service in the Second World War in the 82nd Airborne. As I understand it, he was part of a glider infantry regiment, and he was part of the Normandy invasion, Operation Market Garden. So the two major uh, uh, airborne drops of the Second World War, he was in the thick of it. He was in uh, the big battle towards the end of the Korean conflict, Pork Chop Hill. And then he ended up in the first big battle of the Vietnam War. And in the movie, as in real life, Plumley was just cool. Any of you who served in the military know that a sergeant major, an E9, is as high as you can go in the enlisted ranks. And they don't give that out very easily. You really have to prove yourself. And in many ways, uh, Plumley is the man that saved a whole lot of American lives in that first battle of the Vietnam War. Like I said, I, I find the movie quite good, even though it's uh, quite a Hollywood tale. But it is true is that Plumley kept his cool and was quite the man during the middle of that battle. And when I picture like perfect and complete, not lacking anything, I think of Sam Elliott in that role. You know, I picture tough, knowledgeable, experienced, cool. He almost has this attitude in the movie, which I bet he did have in real life, which was sort of like, if today's the day I bite it, I bite it. But until that happens, I'm leading these men because that's my job because that's what he did. And by the time his career was over in the 70s and he retired, he survived that battle fine. He was a real American hero. His uniform, if you see pictures of him later in life, he is lacking nothing. There wasn't much of a ribbon or a medal that he didn't have on his body. And so um, whatever is the image that conjures up in your mind a perfect and complete lacking in nothing, whether it's a war hero or whether it's a, a, you know, a cadre of tools, Whatever it means in your mind to have it all, to be whole, that's really the picture James has, that when you encounter trials with joy, knowing through that patient endurance, God can make you far more than you would ever be made without it. Then you encounter the, the trial knowing this is a producer of something. This on the other end of this challenge and difficulty can produce something in my soul, in my life, in my friendships that would never be produced without it. And so my friends, um, hopefully that's an encouragement to you. I know it's an encouragement to me. I, James was the first book I studied as a fairly young Christian. And uh, I still get so very much out of it because it's so intensely practical. So when the tough times come, as we're in one right now with this pandemic, thank God for it, because it's a proving ground of faith and it's an opportunity to grow our faith. And with that, we have kind of run out of time. 